Hello. Welcome to another podcast, Innovation in Government Business. I'm Christian Dunn, Managing Partner at Strategic Institute for Innovation in Government Contracting. I'm sitting down today with Rick Dunn, once again, founder, and we are going to talk about hmm, an interesting topic, cost versus value. One of the things that I've noticed uh, as an outsider looking into the DOD is that they have uh, focused so much on cost, Rick, that uh, the system has become unaffordable. And, uh, you know, I have a little mantra or a little saying, I think it's a quote from Upton Sinclair or somebody like that that says, you know, whatever you prioritize, you get more of. And somehow, you know, the, the government has prioritized cost. I, I think it's the intent was to look at cost reduction, but it's so focused on cost that it seems that's what it incurs. And that's one of the problems that is, that is, uh, that's uh, ailing our system today. And, uh, you know, you used to want to always talk about affordability, you know, not only speed of relevance, getting, getting new capability out to the warfighter at, you know, at, at a relevant speed, but also um, you've wanted to talk about affordability. And affordability almost seems like a four-letter word in the government. I mean, I've not heard a lot of people talk about affordability. Um, but really, you know, I'm interested in philosophy. And, and philosophy, if you distill it all the way down to what is it, what, what, what it essentially is looking at, it's looking at value. What are the value of these uh, beliefs, these idea, ideas, you know, how do people, you know, the value of people's behavior and actions. It's really trying to look at value. Now, of course, we know that people don't major in philosophy anymore and that folks major in business. So I guess they're more concerned with cost. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but anyway, Rick, you've been talking about this for a while, cost versus value. And I, I really want to hear your, your opinions on this because, you know, the system... As Mike Griffin said, you know, it's a good thing we're a rich nation because uh, a poorer nation could not afford such waste. And I believe that the system, as far as I can tell, for acquisition, for R&D, and delivering new capability has technically failed. And it's just being pushed along with it by extraordinary resource, resources and cost. What say you? I think the use of uh, cost reimbursement contracting, as well as many other aspects of the federal acquisition system, the, the DOD's acquisition system, um, is so, something that is in use and is accepted, and people don't understand the cost of maintaining bureaucracies for their cost reimbursement system. And by cost, I mean financial costs and also opportunity costs. Mm. Uh, these just haven't been assessed. Instead, we have the cost reimbursement contracting system that goes into intimate detail uh, of contractors' incurred costs. When and you say cost reimbursement contracting, what is it? What is it? What does it do? It, it, it it's designed to incur costs. Well, it's it's designed to track costs. And in the federal acquisition regulation, there's a part 30, which is cost accounting standards administration, which has a sets up a bureaucracy. And then there's a part 31 uh, cost principles and procedures, which have to be followed. 
Now, you know, there's also a big, larger world out there. There are private industries, and they have accounting systems under generally accepted accounting practices. There are other levels of government. There is a uh, in, it, DOD has its own uh, cost accounting standards board mm-hmm. to set up its uh, standards and criteria and, and systems. There's also a government accounting standards board for state and local governments. So we have private sector with generally accepted accounting principles. We have government um, accounting standards board, which generally applies generally accepted accounting principles uh, with some exceptions for government specific things. And then DOD has its own system. So So the federal government tells outside folks, hey, this is how you have to account for, this is how you have to do accounting, but we're going to do it differently over here. Well, I mean, the federal, (laughs) the federal government itself doesn't have an accounting system for its own internal books that can be properly audited. The general accounting, uh, the government accountability office year after year, when it does uh, attempts to audit the federal government, finds that most parts of the federal government, including particularly the Department of Defense, can't be audited up to normal audit standards. So what the federal government imposes on its contractors, it doesn't impose on itself. Wait, but I thought it was all about transparency, man. (laughs) They always are talking about transparency. And, you know, that's why we're against other transactions, because, you know, they're not transparent. Even though they're simplified business that anybody can understand, um, it's, it's the weird, arcane system that the government has created that is sort of the difficult one. It... It is. And as I said, uh, you know, the, the cost accounting standards, the way the government does business on, on cost reimbursement uh, contracting, you know, is one of those things that we don't understand the financial and opportunity costs for. But I, I want to get into a little more into the weeds. I don't know. Getting into the weeds illustrates some big picture issues as well. Um, one of the problems with all of these government DOD specific bureaucracies, standards, requirements, and so on and so forth, as we've discussed before, is that one, it insulates, it creates a barrier for companies outside the the narrow DOD uh, industrial base from getting in and being participants at the large contractor level for major platforms and systems and uh, so forth. And it keeps the defense contractors within that wall mm-hmm. and uh, and they're not able to spread out and diversify into the commercial sector well you know there are financial costs related to that scenario namely that i mean if if the big defense contractors were able to diversify into the commercial world when you applied the cost principles and and by the way a very large amount of what gets reimbursed under the cost principles is general and administrative costs and other over and overhead costs and you know they can be 30 40 50 percent of the uh, reimbursed costs of a government contract Mm. well consider if if our government contractors the the people that provide the major weapon systems and the platforms that that are used if they were diversified and half their business was in the private sector those costs, those kinds of costs, general and administrative costs and some overhead costs would be divided between their contract work in the private sector and their contract work in the 
in the federal government. And the federal government's cost for any particular item or capability uh, or research would be less than it is today. And, and, yeah. and yet we have a system that keeps that from happening. And, and that system that keeps it from happening is contrary to law and policy. Mm. And the policy involved, and uh, this, this is a case where uh, I, I have a, an article on the website called The Numbers Game, and the numbers game just keeps on going. Uh, until recently, there was a civil military integration policy in 10 United States Code 2501B that has been has renumbered, has been recodified. The words are still the same, but the number is now 10 USC 4811B. And that, uh, that legislative provision that the policy is, is called a civil military integration policy. And it says that the Secretary of Defense shall ensure that the United States attains the national technology and the industrial base objectives set forth in subsection A through acquisition policy reforms that have the following objectives. One, relying to the maximum extent practicable upon commercial the commercial national technology and industrial base that is required to meet the national security needs of the United States. Two, reduce, reducing the reliance of the Department of State on technology and industrial base sectors that are economically dependent on Department of Defense business. Three, reducing federal government barriers to the use of commercial products, processes, and standards. Now, among those commercial products, processes, and standards, are generally accepted accounting principles, mm. which would liberate businesses from having to comply with Part 30 and Part 31 uh, of uh, the Federal Acquisition Regulation. Now, some of what are in those uh, parts of FAR, some of it, but a very small part of it, are driven by congressional mandates. Those can be handled under generally accepted accounting principles. So it... it it just you know seems to me that we have not taken into consideration the uh, financial and opportunity costs of imposing cost reimbursement contracting on our contractors, and we haven't focused on this idea of value, especially in the area of research and development. Um, a project may cost something, some amount, X amount, and be a failure, and yet the knowledge gained from that ostensible failure may be worth far more than the financial investment mm -hmm. that, went, that went into it. In addition to that, a success may be far more, for example, uh, you know, if a fundamental discovery is made, it may have big payoff. For, uh, oh, nuclear energy. We want big we, payoffs. We, we, we want big payoffs. We, we ended, you know, we convinced the Japanese to stop fighting in World War II by dropping atomic bombs. But we also created the nuclear power industry right. by that kind of, uh, of research. Now, the United States, for various reasons, has kind of turned its back on nuclear power. But there are countries like France and other countries that get the majority of their electric power through hey, nuclear energy. Right now, our GDP is shrinking. Our investment in government R&D is expanding. We want payoffs, right? We, we need payoffs. We can't keep doing what we're doing because, you know, this whole let's print money today to support current operations and we'll kick this stuff down the line just isn't going to work, isn't a sustainable model, right? 
Now, I, let me, I'll get back into the weeds again. <laughs> One of the things that we, we tend to do in, well, that, we, that Strategic Institute recommends in other transactions uh, agreements is to use fixed payable milestones um, as the um, payment mechanism where we, we lay out milestones that help us both manage the project and, and uh, put revenue into the hands of the, uh, of the performer. They have at least that dual. Which is pretty, uh, which is pretty normal. I mean, even in your personal day-to-day -day things, you, you tend to get, you know, you tend to do things on fixed price. You don't go to your contractor and say, you know, just give, just open up a tab and just keep incurring right. costs, right? Right. I mean, so this, you know, I, as I was mentioning to you, once you peel back the government onion, or the onion of behind the far and all of this stuff, you're getting to really rudimentary type of business. And that's, you know, you're, you're looking at um, procurement, buyer and seller relationships, and you are focused largely on costs. So price tags. I mean, it's kind of like department store shopping. It's about as sophisticated as going to a department store, looking at the items and looking at the cost. I mean, that's pretty rudimentary business and it's missing all of these other ways to establish contractual relationships that enable and support different business approaches that can be far more rich have much larger payoffs right that's what we're talking about here and you know we've created this they've created this entirely complex system to basically mask the fact that they're doing extraordinarily rudimentary business elementary type business but it's overly complex and again you you've heard me say this you know it's no sign of intelligence to you know make the simple overly com or complex it's it, the sign of intelligence is making the complex simple and other transactions by the way seek to do that it seeks to go back and they seek to strip away the 47.2 pounds of the FAR and go back to regular business contracting, not this highly complex arcane thing that requires all of this specialized knowledge. Now I get it. There are entrenched interests for all of that specialized knowledge, right? I mean, and it employs a hell of a lot of people that don't have to be particularly productive, right? They don't have to produce crap. They, but they, but they're getting well paid very well paid in some cases. And, you know, what, why are they going to complain about this system? Why, what, no, there's, there's, there's very little in, incentive for anybody in the system to, to complain about it. Um, Only if they actually really cared about the outcomes. But, but I mean, you know, right, right up at the beginning of Part 30 of the Federal Acquisition Regulation, you know, it says it doesn't apply to sealed bidding, Part 14 of the, of the FAR, which is to say fixed price contracts. And, 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 and again, um, fixed price is uh, the recommended way of doing things in federal acquisition regulation, which should limit the need for you know, cost reviews and audits and so forth in, in other transactions. I, I do want to mention, however, uh, one, one part of the uh, um, cost principles in Part 31, which, which our listeners may not be aware of, and that is FAR 31.20518E. Uh, there is a section that basically allows um, the addition of independent research and development costs uh, in an other transaction project, even if direct government funding is coming into that project. This is something that's illegal in the procurement right, contract right world but it's it's specifically permitted unfortunately that the numbers game where congress moved the numbers of the other transaction statutes around 
twice. The Part 31 of the FAR has not caught up. So it still cites 10 U.S.C. 2371, which is the original DARPA other transaction authority. And the, and the next section says, or similar authority. So research OTs, um, OTs for prototypes, follow-on production, fall under this uh, cost principle. Uh, and so I just want to make sure people, uh, people understand that. Um, and again, I think uh, the idea of focusing on value, where are we going on this project? We're, here's, the, here's the state of the art. There's the capability that we want to get to. We, we can see the critical nodes along the way through either a critical path method or a systems engineering. You know, let's get the program manager involved in laying out these uh, fixed cost, price, cost price milestones. Easy. Cost is and, pretty easy to and, determine. It's value is, 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 more, is, is, is much more complicated, right? Well, I mean, cost is easy easy to determine. You 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 know, one of the things about cost reimbursement contracting in R and D is that R and D is inherently uncertain. We don't know where the outcomes are going to be. That's that's one of the things that's discussed when we talk about uh, R and D, the uncertainty. So people say, oh, we need cost reimbursement contracting because we're dealing with with uncertainty. And all I'm, you know, all I'm suggesting is there are ways to deal with uncertainty other than with cost reimbursement contracting. And, you know, the bureaucracies around these things and the people that think that these are somehow good. I mean, if, if you think about the procurement protest system, many of the protests in government contracting that go to the GAO and their, and their system relate to cost issues. Cost realism, um, uh, the, the validity of a proposal that a competitor uh, submitted, uh, and a variety of other matters. I mean, there's a whole way to get yourself immersed in, down into the details and not get your head above water to see what the big issue What am I trying to accomplish and, and what are the potential payoffs of this project? Is the potential payoff great for the Department of Defense, but even greater for the commercial solution? Well, there's a value issue there. Mm -hmm. Should the government be paying full freight for mm -hmm. a, a research project when then most of the payoff or much of the payoff is going to be in the commercial sector? Right. And, and by the way, we don't often uh, run into that problem with government traditional government contractors. Why? Because we're violating the civil military integration policy that Congress has told us to implement. So, I mean, there's a whole swirl of issues around this basic idea of emphasizing cost reimbursement contracting under the procurement system that's limited to a buyer-seller relationship. And, and the people that are immersed in the system, many of them don't see the, the uh, lack of a value proposition, the lack of an incorrect incentives that, that this cost reimbursement contracting system creates. I think they, I, very good. I, I think they, they, they see it as business. This is just business. And I don't know that they've thought about it uh, the way maybe you and I have. And we've spent a great deal of time thinking about, you know, what, what, what would be of greater value. And right now, the taxpayer, the warfighter, you know, the national security, we're not, we're not seeing the value that we should. That's, that's where the focus should be what's the what's the payoff? Whether I'm at a laboratory, whether I'm uh, at a, a buying command, wherever I am in the system, the focus should be the payoff. Yes, 
the right. capability that's going to be fielded, that is fielded, the timeline, uh, the value to the, the warfighter in terms of saving lives and accomplishing mission, those need to be integrated right up through the whole process rather than, you know, am I saving nickels and dimes? Or even if I'm not saving nickels and dimes, am I tracking nickels and dimes? And do I know where all the money went, whether it went somewhere good and for a good payoff or not. Right. So I, you know, I don't want to go on with, with this anymore. No, but I mean, somebody has recently mentioned that, you know, we've spent so much money over the, over the recent, particularly last couple of decades. And, you know, it's, 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 we haven't seen the value out of all those trillions of dollars. You know, we don't have brand new shiny infrastructure. We don't have these massive, you know, giant leap forward things like nuclear power or things that have, you know, we, we just haven't had those, but we've spent more money than ever. We, we don't have an F-35 with full operational capability or even, even full production after decades. Uh, we don't have an F-35 with an affordable sustainment system. And that program has received a lot of attention and it's been executed under the typical federal acquisition regulation, major acquisition program uh, system with cost reimbursement contracting. Those systems are not panaceas. They, uh, in fact, send up barriers to accomplishing uh, the goals that, that are needed uh, and acquiring uh, the value uh, in, in our weapon systems and capabilities uh, that we need. And people should wake up to that and say, we need to implement the civil military integration policy. We need to change the system. Minor torquing of the system patting ourselves on the back for some perceived minor improvement. No, there is a potential for creating an alternative system that focuses on, on value to the warfighter and, as you say, to the taxpayer uh, in the way the government does business. And it's through using other transactions, middle-tier acquisition, and some of the other authorities that Congress has vested in the department. And the, and the department's leadership basically has... Uh, ignored these or at least has, has uh, underplayed them. And the education of the workforce and the changes in the workforce that are needed to implement this have been broadly ignored. Yes. So China has implemented a dual-use policy, and apparently we have one on the books too. Yeah. And apparently we have one on the books too. We do. And we have, uh, Congress has also asked DOD to develop a preference for using more commercial-like, more business-friendly contracting, other transactions, and to get the personnel uh, in this business schooled. And those have not happened. So, And, know, the, and that's been years. It's now like four years since uh, Congress created those mandates. No, I always say policies are like years ahead of practice in this case. And so, you know, again, we hope uh, that... The listeners found something meaningful in our discussion here today. And uh, if you guys would like to find out any inf more information about anything we discussed today or even more, visit our website at strateginstitute.org. And once again, thanks for being here with us.